Please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. Praise ensemble singing, I am weak, but thou art strong. You ever feel that way? At least about the, the weakness part. You face a temptation, and it seems like everywhere you turn is that same temptation, one that you struggle with. Everywhere you look, everyone you talk to, maybe it was yesterday or last night. Maybe it'll be tonight, tomorrow. And you know it. And you know when you you face that temptation that you're going to struggle and more often than not, you fall for it. And then you feel bad. You deal with guilt And then maybe somewhere in your mind, you say, God, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I asked you not to lead me into temptation. And here I am again. God, I ask you to take away that desire. And here it is. What's going on? You made me this way. Why is this such an ongoing struggle in this life? God, why don't you do something about this? And then you move forward again until you face it. Again. Well, what's the answer? James had some folks that he was writing to that dealt with temptation. Of course, he could have written to anybody, and that would have been the truth, wouldn't it? But it was people that evidently had somehow rationalized in their mind some of the things that I just verbalized. Let's listen to what he says. Beginning with verse 12, he has just talked about enduring through trials in this life. And now he's going to do a a subtle shift which goes from trials, meaning difficulties, to a different kind of trial that we face in this life. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us as we look at this real-life issue? One that we face, or at least we ought to face. Help us to know, Lord, just what the cross means here. What the work of Jesus on that cross means to us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into it. We've introduced ourselves to it. What's the, the issue at stake here? We, we need to know, first of all, be reminded who he was talking to. If you remember, in, when introducing the book of James, we saw that it was to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Uh, these were uh, Jewish Christians that uh, were dispersed among many cities, various regions, and, and so on. And that's who he was uh, speaking to in this case. Now, what's, what's the issue here? Well, we have to, we have to play a little uh, um, game show quiz here. We've got to do Jeopardy because we've, we've got the answer and we've got to figure out <clears throat> what the question he was addressing was here. He says in verse 13, the first part, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now evidently, if we work our way back from him saying, don't any of you out there be saying this, evidently someone was saying that. He didn't just pull it out of the air. You know, when I undergo temptation, it's God who's tempted. I'm being tempted by God. And James says, don't be saying that. Now, how could anyone even come to that kind of a conclusion? What What would be their process of thinking, their reasoning? Well... Like I said earlier, they, they might say, uh, well, God made me this way. You know, I'm, this is just how God made me. 
And so he's the one that's responsible. He didn't have to make me with that weakness or that tendency. God could have made me any way he wanted, but he made me just like I am. Or they could say if God's in control, then he must be in control of sin. And if he's in control of sin, then ultimately who's responsible here? You see how one can work their reasoning? It might even say, even in what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray that God will not lead you into temptation. So if, okay, if that's an issue, then obviously God leads into temptation. So he is the tempter. James is saying, in all those presumptions, in all of those conclusions, you've made a mistake. You can't be saying that. Now, why does James say that? It seems like you could, we can see how one could reason in that way. And maybe some of those things have even crossed your mind from time to time. Well, James says there are certain things we know for sure about God. Let's take a a look at those. In verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Here's why. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, the word here, tempt, is not the same as the word for trials. Some of your versions may interchange those words, but uh, there's a nuance, but it's major. Because it's not just going through difficulties. That's not what this is speaking of. It, It is talking about being tempted to sin. And here's, he says, here's what we can know about him, that God can't be tempted by evil. Uh, and he doesn't tempt anyone. See, we've we got to get away from any kind of a, a picture someone may have of God where, where you've got, well, God, and, and inside of God there's good God, and then there's evil God, and it's just kind of two sides of the same God. James says, no way. No. That is not the case. And he, he gives us evidence. Verse 17, that God gives only good to us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. James is, is making it clear here. He's saying that, that this whole idea that God... Uh, tempts one to evil or that there's an evil part aspect of God or something like that or that he means evil towards us. It is so far from the God that the, the Bible is talking of that the truth is that every good gift and perfect things are the ones that come from him. Who would ever put evil in that category? So if you're going to believe that every good and every perfect gift comes from God, then it rules out over here 
oh, but then there's that temptation thing that he does to us sometime. We need to know, and at some point, we may need to step out on faith that even something that looks like it's evil coming towards us, when it comes from God, it is good. Now, we may perceive it as evil, but our perceptions can be wrong because every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, that's not just a blind trust. There are some times when God says, you just got to believe me on this. There are other times when he gives evidence for us. In verse 18, that uh, the whole idea that every good and perfect gift comes from God, it's proven in our salvation. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So uh, James is in essence saying, look, to have a view that God is the tempter or tempting you to evil is a warped view because the God that we worship, the God that we are speaking of is the one that brought salvation and provided for salvation. He would not do this other to his creation. Don't you get it, he's saying? He's the one that gave you birth and new birth. That's the God. That's what we can know about God. So where's the explanation for all this uh, in terms of the whole how temptation works? Well, uh, instead of looking at the nature of God, we need to now look at what we know about man. Look again at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God, men are blamers. We need to know that. This is nothing new. This isn't something that that James came up with. Men are blamers. And when I say men, I mean men and women. And all you got to do is go back to the garden. Remember what happened? We see Adam and Eve in communion with God. God says, okay, there's this one thing that you are not to do. And though they had this perfect communion and fellowship with him, they chose to do that one thing that he said, don't do. And so then what? Well, God confronts Adam. Genesis 3. This is this is classic blame game uh, by our original parents here. God says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to me, be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. It's her fault. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, 
the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Eve blames the serpent. I was... I, you, you almost expect, don't you, for the serpent to say, well, the, you know, and there'd be somebody else that, that he would blame at this point. But it, it seems that, you know, the serpent showed some integrity there, you know. He said, yeah, it was me, all right. So you've got Adam blaming Eve, but even... More than that, Adam blamed God himself. Did you notice what he said? The woman who, by the way, you gave me, it's a double blame game, isn't it? Well, no wonder. We are the way we are. Okay, it's Adam and Eve's fault, right? (laughs) See, there we go. In one sense, of course it is. And yet, James doesn't let us off the hook there. He says, we're the ones. We're the ones that yield. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, not by Eve, not by the serpent, not by anything else, not by God. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown brings forth death. Now, these verses give it to us virtually in in three stages. You've got stage one. I go to the store, I see something that I want. And I think to myself, I would like that. But I can't afford that. No harm done. No problem. I'd love to have it but I can't because I can't afford it. And then James uses the phrase in verse 14. Look what he says. He used this phrase, lured and enticed by his own desire. That's just like it sounds. That is a, a term that is used in, for fishing, even back in that day. So if you picture, you know, there's a a fish and it's over here and it's under a log or under a rock or in its hiding place, basically. And you know, okay, here's the fishing hole. And so you you toss the lure over in that way. That'd be a good place for a fish to hide. And the fish sees the lure. The fish has to make a decision. I'm not saying all this goes through their mind, but anyway. But the basic decision is this. Do I love my hiding place more or that food I see out there that he thinks is just food? And then he, 
of his own volition, decides, I believe, I want what's out there. And he leaves his hiding place, and he goes out and grabs it, and is grabbed and dragged away. That's the picture. He's using that picture deliberately. That's stage two. Desire is conceived. Lust and desire impregnated by Satan. It says then, desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. So we're back in the store. I want that, but I can't afford it. And for some reason, you keep thinking about it. You look back again. Goes through your mind. Wonder how I could get it. Eventually, there's that fleeting thought. Well, I guess I could take it. That's stage two. It's dwelling upon that. Your desire. You're being lured out into it. Bonhoeffer said it is uh, when our joy in God is extinguished and replaced by joy in the creature, in the thing. And he says, at least for that moment, God becomes unreal to us. It's this thing that is so real. And then we go for that. That's what James is talking about. And then verse 15, it really gives us kind of a gruesome lesson in growth and development of sin. Again, let me read it to you. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And that's stage three. The Bible tells us that the wage is the payment for sin is death. It's sin that's undealt with, where there's no repentance, no dealing with that sin. It leads to eternal death. So, ultimately, we, we see that it, it's all that within us, and then we reap the effects. Verse 15, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's when it's unchecked. Unforgiven. Now, let me, let me hit some final issues here. We do have the issue of the Lord's Prayer. Remember, we were talking about that earlier? It says, lead us not into temptation. That seems to indicate God leads us into temptation. God is sovereign. He is in control. And there are times when he will lead us in such a way that we will be exposed to temptation. Now, that doesn't mean that it's God's fault when we sin. He's not the tempter. But we see, for instance, 
places in Scripture, Job, David, Bathsheba, Jesus. Jesus being led out into temptation. But even that for a reason. Even that for the glory of God. Being led into a battle. In permitting us to be in the presence of temptation. He is still not the one that tempts us, Satan is. We deal with, as Luther said, the world, the flesh, and the devil. As long as we're in this life. In fact, God uses Satan's actions for good. Think of Jesus dealing with temptation. He showed us how temptation ought to be dealt with. He overcame it. He had to, in essence, deal with this temptation and overcome that temptation in the wilderness to show that he was fully human and that it was real temptation. It was not imaginary. It was not a spiritual thing. It was uh, not hypothetical. He dealt with temptation. He faced it and with the very Word of God. He dealt with it. Even in those times, God uses for His glory. And then, (coughs) we need to hear from Paul, who said this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. There are those moments where you may feel like it is. Where you may feel like, well, man, this is worse than anybody has to deal with. Why, why, Why am I having to deal with this? And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, no. No, this is something that is common to man, meaning that others have and do face whatever you're facing. But here's what he goes on to say. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So you may feel like you are. You may say, if I face that temptation, I know I'll fall into it. You can't say that. The Word of God says that's not so. Not if God is faithful. Because here is what he promises. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, you you can't use the excuse, I didn't have any choice. Sin was my only choice. Now, you may, you may not immediately see the way out. That's why elsewhere in this same chapter in James, in James it talks about, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. So ultimately it, it comes to not saying, i got to be stronger here 
but instead, I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can only deal with this. I can only find my way of escape through his wisdom because I don't see a way of escape, but he said there is a way of escape. He's not going to corner me or let me get cornered to where there's no way out and my only choice is sin. And so our response. Well, we do need to, and just in a very practical way, avoid tempting circumstances. How often do we know that by going to a certain place, whether it's an actual place or in our mind or whatever, that it is going to be tempting and it is going to lead us into sin. I love Martin Luther's phrase about dealing with lust. He says, you, you, can't, <laughs> you can't stop birds from flying over your head. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, there's, there's going to be these temptations around us. You can't, you can't help that. We live in this world. There's sin all around us. But just like a, a flock of birds, you can't keep them from flying over you. But if one of them lands on your head and begins bringing straw back and forth, you know, if you picture that, uh, you've got to be pretty passive to let that happen. And that's the picture Luther. He's saying, we don't have to do that. You can avoid that. So when all those temptations around us, but he said, look, when, when the bird lands, that's, that's when we've got to deal with it in the power of Christ, the only one who always resisted temptation. And the scripture says he lives inside of his people. And that's why we don't have to sin once we come to Christ. And then, back to verse 12, where we started. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Jesus did it first. Remember that James had already talked about how we are blessed when we endure trials. Now he shows the other side of the trials, and that is temptation. And we are blessed. And it is that crown of life that Jesus earned that we receive because of what Jesus did. And we're called to resist. In the last book of the Bible, John said this. Do not fear when you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested. He says this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He uses that same phrase, the crown of life. For those who in this life deal with temptation, not in their own strength because you're going to fail, 
but in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together.